Because, you know, that's what you do. You go to a bar, you have a drink. And I don't want to necessarily be the person who just sits around with a seltzer. So I kind of had the idea, especially in New York City, like everything is possible, right? There's a, there's a cereal bar in Chinatown that literally only does cereal, right? There's all these like Japanese style listening bars that, that are revolve around sort of playing records and high quality sound system. There's, there's something for everyone. And so two years ago, I was wondering why are there no non-alcoholic bars? It's not that big a jump to imagine that you have something that's kind of like a bar it's open late but really have sort of a bar environment without encouraging people to drink and there wasn't anything like that at the time so you know i figured why not try and do it welcome to motor de Berry, the podcast about local drinks and local sayings i'm your host Rose Thomas Bannister. Today's guest is Sam Bale, the founder of Third Place, a series of alcohol-free bar events in New York City. She aims to provide a social space that has all the vibes of a neighborhood bar for those that are sober, sober curious, or just taking a night off from drinking alcohol. Sam, welcome. Hi. Hey, Rose. My own goal here at Moto di Berry is to share local culture through drinks and dialect while inspiring people to have fun and try new things. As a longtime wine professional, it probably would have been simpler to market Moto di Berry as a wine project (laughs) and make that my focus, but I've always insisted that I want to include all different types of drinks, not necessarily alcohol, and I love it when people come up with creative ways to make everyone feel included, especially when it comes to celebration culture. So I've been following Sam's successful series of cocktail classes and pop-up events on social media, and I'm really excited about what she's doing. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Before we start the interview, I want to let you know that Moto D. Berry is a listener-supported program, and you can sustain the work I'm doing by visiting patreon.com slash mododberry and signing up as a patron for $5 a month to unlock bonus content. If you want to support Moto Di Berry right now for free, pause the episode, find the show on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and leave us five stars and a written review. It really helps more people discover the show. Sam and I will be here when you get back. <laughs> so Sam, you're originally from Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what town? Um, it's a really small town. It's called Ravensburg. Uh, you probably never heard of it unless you're into jigsaw puzzles because we have one of the biggest jigsaw and board game uh, manufacturers probably in the world, at least in Europe, in our town. It's like a blue corner that says Ravensburger. Oh, fun fact. Yeah. So if you ever see a jigsaw puzzle, a box, um, you'll now know where it's from. That's my hometown. So it's it's in the southwest. It's about two hours west of Munich. It's not in Bavaria, though. It's in a different state. And um, yeah, it's just, just a small rural town, really. Do you have any local sayings that you want to share from your hometown or elsewhere <laughs> in your life experience? Yeah, uh, one of my favorites, and this is kind of drinking related, I guess, so it sort of, um, you know, lines up with a podcast. Uh, it's Sex Beers and Auch ein Schnitzel, which means six beers are a schnitzel, which basically means if you just drink enough, you don't have to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's a meal. It's like beers are a meal. I love this beer is food. Beer exactly. is bread is, is kind of an interesting concept throughout history. I love that. It's very yeah. German. It's definitely I very have German. I actually found that the Germans who I have met and asked about local sayings mm-hmm. as I'm out and about, often the first saying that comes to mind is an idiom around beer. 
Um, there's, I, I know, a, a nicht mein Bier. Nicht mein Bier, yeah. Yeah, so that would mean, like, not my business. Yeah, I'm staying not out my of cup this. of tea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, like, the German version of not my cup of tea. Oh, okay, not my cup of tea. <laughs> I thought of it more as, like, I'm staying out of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. not, not like, oh, sorry, and I totally confused the what not my cup of tea means. Like, yeah, it's not, not yeah. my business. So you could, but could you also use it for, I'm not into that. Um... No, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's more like not my not my not on my problems. Like not not on my business. If, if not we're my looking problem. for an English idiom for that one, we say not my circus, not my monkeys. Not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> I know that one. That one's actually Polish as far oh, it's as Polish. I know, which is really ah, funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that I say that a lot. Not my circus, <laughs> not my monkeys. <laughs> Sam, here we are recording in the first week of February 2024. I feel like dry January was a busy month of events for you. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Um, I tried to limit it to just four events in dry January. I could have probably done a ton more. But in addition to running my own events, I did two non-alcoholic cocktail classes. I did a non-alcoholic wine tasting. I did a social with non-alcoholic beer flights at Talea Brewery in Williamsburg. So along with those events, I also just did a ton of events that I attended myself. The thing I really like about the non-alc industry is because it's still so small and growing. Everyone is really excited and everyone kind of knows each other. And so, it, you know, while it's kind of work, it's also just like hanging out with your friends a lot. Speaking of hanging out with your friends, listeners who have heard my interview with Julia Alvarez-Katz will know that this is the second show that I've done around the concept of the third place. Could you tell us more about this concept and why you chose it as your as the name for your business? Yeah, totally. Um, so for me personally, bars, neighborhood bars were always a third place for me, especially when I moved to New York City. You know, you don't really have a living room or not a lot of space. So for me, the my neighborhood bar... Uh, back in the Lower East Side was sort of my extended living room, and it was my third place. So just to recap the idea of a third place, right? Your first place usually is home. Your second place is work or school. And then your third place is any place outside of that where you have social connections. And for me, it was totally my neighborhood bar. And I really love going there any any time of the day, any day of the week. Um, I would know the shifts of the bartenders. I knew most of the regulars there. I knew a lot of the dogs that would come with the regulars too. At some point, I was in a softball team uh, with some of the regulars, which was pretty fun because if you get a bunch of people who drink at bars uh, every Saturday night and then you have to play softball games Sunday morning, does not result in a particularly good softball team. We had a lot of fun. We lost every single game <laughs> that season. The, um, so for so for me, neighborhood bars are a really important concept and a really important third place. But at the same time, for me, I realized that also encouraged me to drink a lot more than I probably should be during the week in particular. Um, just because, you know, that's what you do. You go to a bar, you have a drink. And I don't want to necessarily be the person who just sits around with a seltzer. So I kind of had the idea, especially in New York City, like everything is possible, right? There's a, there's a cereal bar in Chinatown that literally only does cereal, right? There's all these like Japanese style listening bars that, that are revolve around sort of playing records and high quality sound system. There's, there's something for everyone. And so two years ago, I was wondering why are there no non-alcoholic bars? It's not that big a jump to imagine that you have something that's kind of like a bar. It's open late. 
it just doesn't have alcoholic drinks. So not like a late night coffee shop. Um, I think the vibe is very different for coffee shops from a bar, but really have sort of the bar environment just without alcohol, just in, without encouraging people to drink. And there wasn't anything like that at the time. So, you know, I figured, why not try and do it? Timing is really interesting to me, too. You started in late 2022, mm -hmm. right? So I'm just thinking about the context of the pandemic and how many people's third places were lost mm -hmm. and also the extra psychological impact uh, for those of us who were in New York during early COVID. I remember first starting to walk around and just feeling this post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. energy, particularly around seeing some of those local bars being closed. And when they were starting to come back, it was such a strange moment. And, and some of them didn't come back at all. And I think people really felt the grief of losing that location. Yeah, that's a great point. I haven't even thought about it that way. But but it was it, it, it's definitely, I think in a more broader context, I think there aren't a lot of third places in New York City anymore. Um, and a lot of places did close down during the pandemic. That's mm -hmm. absolutely right. I haven't even made that connection. And I, th I think just that sense of community mm -hmm. is really missing. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I what I wanted to bring back with third place bar. I would love for you to tell us more about what you're doing and what your plans are for the future and what it's been like for people mm -hmm. who come to your events to continue to be included mm -hmm. in the culture of, of fun. Yeah, I have so many, so many thoughts about this. So just for context, I initially, so initially the idea for third place was to really have a third place to have this permanent location, a brick and mortar bar that basically just doesn't serve alcohol, but sort of functions like a regular bar where people can come in, stop by anytime. They know the bartender's shifts. They know the regulars, stuff like that. For me personally, I don't have a background in hospitality. I've bartended, but I've never managed or owned or opened a bar. So that just seemed like a very, that seems like a pretty big challenge to to move from my life working in tech to opening a bar out of nowhere. And I know some people do that. I'm not that brave or stupid, whichever way it is. And also like non-alc obviously is a pretty new domain. So I didn't really know anything about the beverages there. I didn't know anything about what the customers wanted. So I figured I'll start with these pop-up events to kind of get a lay of the land. So I started doing these and it was mostly social events, either just an open bar night where I would take a coffee shop, turn it into a bar, turn down the lights a little, turn up the music a little, and then serve non-alcoholic drinks and say, do whatever you would do at a bar. Bring friends, bring a date. We had a few dates, which was very cute. Hang out or some board games, you know, bring like hold a meeting there, whatever it is. That worked pretty well. The only problem with that is uh, from a financial perspective, it was hard for me to make that work because you were so renting I, the coffee because i was because i had to pay a, a rental fee and rental fees in new york city even for coffee shops that are closed at night you know even if i'm saying hey do you want to make some extra money they're still pretty steep um so so it was just hard for me to make that work and including like paying my bartender a decent rate so i moved to more of an event-based model with tickets or ticketed events and I've basically done everything from friends speed meets, like speed dating, but platonic, which was super fun. I did a movie and a mocktail night. I did picnics in the park. I did, uh, what else did we do? The cocktail classes we started doing. So non-alcoholic cocktail classes, non-alcoholic wine tastings. And that seems to work really well because it 
basically it's a little bit more focused and a little bit more sort of intentional about the the activity and the thing that we're doing but in the long term i do want to have that permanent brick and mortar location and sort of just open it up a lot more and make it make it a lot more accessible to people who you know might just not be available that particular day that the event is on right but you know have it just run it like a regular bar so that's kind of the the context for that for like the the things that we've been doing the thing I always find really interesting, I basically just tell everyone, you don't have to be sober. You don't even have to be sober curious to come to one of the events. All you have to do is be happy in an environment or be curious about being in an environment for a few hours and socialize with it, with people without drinking. Um, even if, you know, afterwards you decide, oh, this is not for me. And then you go to a bar and have a drink somewhere. Fine by me. I'm, I don't, I don't judge, but I want people to really have that kind of environment where they can it's almost like it's almost like a regression to like being a kid and learning how to socialize with other people just without the alcohol. This sounds almost like a little bit of a social experiment, which I find so interesting to have people, you know, we did a we did a sober drag brunch. And for a lot of people, it was the first time they were doing a sober drag brunch or a sober drag show. And or like a sober comedy show. And it, it was really like people questioning, like, am I going to have fun? Am I going to be able to enjoy myself? And I love creating those moments for for people where it's almost like like that movie trope of the magic was within you all along. Like you are the person who is capable of having fun. You are the person who's capable of socializing with other people and making small talks or having, you know, a deeper conversation or meeting, like chatting with a complete stranger or maybe even being flirty, whatever it is. And you don't actually need that liquid courage. You don't actually need any other substances for that because you you, you can do it, right? And and having those moments and encouraging that and, and and really having that environment for people to explore that and explore that side of themselves as an adult is extremely satisfying for me. And I think that's where the the fun comes in, where like that moment of realization, wait, I am doing this sober? Oh my God, like this is okay, I can do this. And and I and I think that's really where a lot of people, maybe for the first time in their adult mm -hmm. life, realize that there's something else out there. There's something else within them. There's something else when it comes to human connection where you can connect and you can have fun without sort of, you know, needing that needing that little boost or needing the liquid courage or needing like, you know, the, the shots and the beers to sort of take the edge off. And that to me is sort of really the main focus of third place bar and it's been just so wonderful and actually on the on the you know on the flip side i always say and if you're talking to someone and you don't you're not feeling a connection and you're maybe awkward and maybe the conversation isn't flowing that is also okay because that just means you genuinely just figured out that maybe that is not the kind of person you want to talk to or that is not you don't get along that well rather than sort of the Oh, well, maybe if we just have like a couple more drinks, we'll, you know, have a great conversation. Like, why Why are we even doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a lot more, I think, authentic and genuine to have those connections or not have connections. And it's it's yeah, it's like an it's like an adult like exploration of 
human connection. And I, and I think that I love that so much and I find that so fascinating. I think this is really valuable what you're doing. And I'm thinking as you're talking about, keep talking about childhood and going back to childhood, it really can be the case for a lot of cultures that the entry to adulthood is the entry to a time when you are drinking every yep. single night. And 100%. Where all of your socialization will always be around alcohol. Yep. And yeah, if if you don't want to participate that in that, or if it is hard for you to to be in that environment and change your relationship to to alcohol, then you know what you're supposed to just be at home. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing this and I and I hope that more people do. And I'm thinking too about having those moments where the clarity kind of comes back and, and you do feel like it. It kind of reminds you of being a kid again. Yeah. If if being an adult was completely synonymous with just drinking every single night. Mm-hmm. For people who did just do dry January, yeah. what advice do you have for people at the beginning of February? So so this is this is always really interesting to me because I always say and I'm I'm a little it might sound a little bit harsh, but I always say if it's really, really hard for you to go just a month without drinking, maybe that's even more so of a reason for you to try and keep going and figure out why it's hard for you and see if you can, if there's any patterns that you can change, if there's any substitutes you can find, you know, your, your glass of wine at home that you're missing. Maybe there's other functional beverages with, you know, adaptogens or things that can help you relax, that can help you wind down. People seem really into CBD, for example, things like that, or valerian root. Um, or if it's you feeling really awkward or self-conscious when you're out with friends. Um, why? Why is that? Why do you, Why do you think it's you know you're not good enough or fun enough or you're just awkward or socially awkward if you're not drinking? Like that's the actual. Pro- I don't want to call it problem. The actual thing that you might want to address and think about and work on a little bit more rather than saying. Oh, yeah, no, not drinking is like so awkward for me and I feel so uncomfortable. I'm just going to go back to drinking, right? So I think, you know, dry January and like a month of not drinking is a really good way to understand your your patterns and your habits and sort of make that more aware. And February is sort of where the, where the work maybe starts or continues of like, oh, I've learned a lot about myself. Like, how can I use that information that I have to maybe put myself into a position where I feel more comfortable with the way I I do things. And and I think that's a really, you know, great way to to take it. Um, obviously that's the whole like, you know, self-improvement and whatever, which you also don't necessarily have to have to do. The other option is to just say, here are the things that actually worked for me, right? Here are maybe again the functional beverages that to help me relax at night, or here are Here's the non-alcoholic beer that I really, really like at my local bar. And maybe I'll mix and match the drinks next time I go out because I do feel better the next morning if I don't drink as much. And I'm just going to have one or two regular beers and then I'm going to switch to non-alcoholic beers because there's something that I found that I like. So also just taking like the the positive learnings or the positive like, um, insights or experiences and continuing that going forward to say, oh, here's something that I found that I really like. Um, non-alcoholic sparkling wine, for example. Maybe next time I go to a party and I'm bringing something, there's actually a non-alcoholic sparkling wine that I really like. Next time I go to a birthday party, I'm going to bring that because it's a fun fun little bevy. And it doesn't actually matter if we're having 
you know, actual champagne with alcohol or if we're having a really great non-alcoholic sparkling wine without the alcohol. It's just about popping a bottle and having a nice glasses. So sort of like taking the positive learnings and, and continuing with that, I think, is also um, a great way to, to make, it, make it count. That is really how I use those tools now. I and I just think non-alcoholic beer is amazing. Yeah. Oh god, it it's tastes so good. so good. It's so good. I, I think that has come so far. It's all come so far. We've got to talk about products more. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love the different alcoholic drinks for are the part in the gastronomical ceremony and you're moving yep. through the part phases of it's the about day. the ritual. The, yeah. Yes. Um but I do the I do really enjoy that mix and match mm-hmm. approach and I'm really grateful to some of those products. Yeah. Speaking of which we have Ooh, something that you brought for excited. us. Yeah. I've been so eyeing that bottle. Ah, um but, so this is should I should yeah, I take it? Okay. Ahead, so yeah. this is um a bottle of non alcoholic sparkling rose or as they call it prickelnd. Uh it's from Germany. That's my people. It is a brand called Colonne Noll, which is a pretty, they have a lot of different types of wine. They have a blonde, they have a rosé. Uh, they have, I think, at least one or two reds, too. I've had a white recently. They're super popular in Germany. Uh, you can get them in, like, here, too, at Boisson currently. And I am very curious because they're, you know, people seem to love them. I have not tried the rosé yet, so I'm very, very excited. It says, fine red berries and plums paired with balanced acidity and lively bubbles. I don't know what kind of grapes these are. Um, but it's a, uh, the, the main thing I want to say about this one, it's a de-alcoholized rosé, which means it's the whole process of going, you know, making wine, making a rosé wine. Um, and then the alcohol is removed afterwards. I'm sure you're familiar with the method. It's usually something like a vacuum, vacuum distillation. So it's a very gentle way of removing the alcohol under pressure, which usually leaves a lot of the flavors, the textures intact as much as possible. So. Yeah, really excited to try this one. Yeah, see what it's like. That's right. so, me too. I've never tried this before. I'm also. I know I was just singing the praises of uh, the non-alcoholic beer and mm-hmm. and um, spirits, which have come so far. In fact, the fact that the spirits exist is huh. also new. Yeah. Um, but the non-alcoholic wine has just made leaps, mm-hmm. leaps and bounds. We're getting there. I always say I I have one from a brand called Laudis, a, a red. They're South African. That is. Really, really, really good. It's a one, the first non-alcoholic red wine where I'm like, oh, we're getting there. And I always tell everyone, give it another year or two and we're going to nail it. Um, one thing that a lot of brands, actually not a lot of brands, but a couple of brands started doing is uh, aside from using de-alcoholized wine, which is a great base, they also add other stuff. Mm. Obviously, as wine purists, um, you know, th- some some people might be upset by that. So I think it's a great idea. So there's one brand called Shirley. They add, um, they have a, they start with a de-alcoholized red wine and then add, thank you, and then add uh, things like a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of oak, and a little bit of Lepsang Souchong tea to give it some smokiness and make a really full-bodied non-alcoholic red wine. It, that one in particular is a little sweet for me. They also added some sweetener and I'm like, why, why did you do that? You could have made a really nice dry one. But it is, it has a lot of body and it's very good. So to me, I think that's the future of non-alcoholic wine is A, getting really good at dealkalization where you really leave most of the the flavors and the mouthfeel and everything intact. But also at the same time, 
you know, experiment a little bit with adding things and just add more body, add more flavor, add more texture. Are All we, right. Well, cheers. Oh, my God. Cheers. Yeah. This smells nice. It smells like a like a sparkling rosé. Oh, it's delicious. The, the aroma is really impressive. It is actually. good. Yeah. The aroma is it great. Is good. I had a... I had a Silvaner from the same brand that was too acidic for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of the de-alcoholized wines kind of skew a little bit acidic mm-hmm. for my taste, which is funny because a lot of people think that non-alcoholic wine is just sweet grape mm. juice, but it's actually almost the opposite. A lot of it is almost too too tart for me. Mm-hmm. This one is nicely balanced. It's it is not... balanced. Mm. Mm. It's really, I'm really impressed with this one. Mm. So one of the things that is really difficult, I'm I'm so impressed by the way that people are using those new technologies Mm -hmm. to preserve the aromas, to preserve the flavors. The thing that you can't still be missing is the qualities that alcohol brings to the mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. So we were talking before the interview about sparkling wine. I know I can give your mouth something else to focus on. Um, So... Gosh, this is great. I always say when I talk about non-alcoholic drinks, when I teach mm-hmm. like the cocktail classes, I talk about texture a lot mm-hmm. because people usually only think about flavor, at least like people who don't come from like a bartending background, they think about flavor, but they don't think about texture. So I always talk about texture a lot and say like it's both the the flavor and the texture. And I always say it's got to keep your mouth entertained. Mm, that's so, lovely. And the bubbles keep your mouth entertained in the same way as something that's like, you know, creamy or rich mm. or um, uh, dry, like, uh, sorry, not dry, like tannic, like tannins. Mm-hmm. All those things like keep your mouth entertained. So in I this love case, that the bubbles. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna start saying that to my sommelier <laughs> students. The it. other thing that keeps your mouth entertained is the finish. Mm-hmm. So that that dance of flavors that keeps going mm-hmm. after you've swallowed the sip. This has a really long finish, and that can be something that's I I think difficult. Yeah. To attain to preserve in the I had... wine space. Actually, the same brand that has a non-alcoholic red that I really, really like with a super long finish. It just, it's it stays. They, funny enough, they have a white and a rosé, also de-alcoholized, that disappear off my palate so quickly. It was almost like something, it, I felt like something's wrong. Like, mm, what is yeah. this? It's you, you sip it and it's like the, the taste itself is pretty pleasant. Mm-hmm. It disappears like water. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing. And I was very surprised because their red is so good. Mm-hmm. And then the white and rosé, it was very unique, actually, for a lot of the non-alcoholic, or de-alcoholized mm-hmm. wines that I've tasted. That it's just like, there's no just very there's short, no finish. Very short. Gone. Mm, yeah. This has quite a long finish. It's got some great fruit flavors, mm. but not just fruit. Mm-hmm. There's something... And the thing mm. I like the most about the de-alcoholized wines is really they went through fermentation mm-hmm. and you can taste it. This is not quite as strong. There's some definitely that are a little bit more in the funkier side. But I love this so much because to me that is a grown-up drink, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that's the difference between something that's just a sparkling grape juice. Yeah. And like this is a grown-up drink. Mm-hmm. It's it's not mm-hmm. something that you would necessarily serve to kids, right? They they might not even right like it if it's too funky or yeah. yeasty or whatever it is. Well, this is great, and it, yeah, why should and why should it be depressing, <laughs> right? Great, mm. I like it. This is interesting because a lot of times with these wines, I'm finding maybe some pretty good stuff on the nose, but mm-hmm. then a little disappointed in the palate. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I know I said that this has a, a nice nose and it does, but I'm actually finding more complexity in the palate than, mm-hmm. than in the nose. There's some like unripe strawberry and for me and like some kind of you know, almost minerally, almost kind of coppery mm-hmm. flavor. I definitely, yes, coppery I think is is probably the thing for me. Also, I'm not a wine person, so I'm like... I like the taste yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. some fruit and they're yeah. definitely like a coppery sort of is very nice. I'm really impressed with this one. So I approve. All right. Yeah. To the Germans. <laughs> to the Germans. <laughs> Cheers. Are you enjoying the Moto D. Berry podcast? Do me a favor and tell a friend. I know you've got somebody in your life who's studying four languages on Duolingo or really loves to learn about local culture, who's always planning their next their next adventure, their next travel adventure, somebody who wants to learn more about wine and other drinks. Please just let them know. You can send them this episode. You can send them to motodberry.com and have them sign up for my newsletter. Just let people know about the show if someone's on the internet saying they need more new podcast recommendations. Please let them know about Moto D. Berry, your friends, your colleagues. Help us spread the word. I really appreciate it. So you've had a long career in tech, Mm -hmm. and I know that you've done some advocacy work around inclusion of women in science and in business. How does this background inform your decision to start your own business? Um, Oh, that's great. You did the research. That's so fun. I love that. Yeah, so when I was in grad school and in England, I started a not-for-profit called Manchester Girl Geeks, which is a group for women, girls who basically just, you know, learn tech skills or geek out about tech things. So um, one of my proudest moments is we always did a, around the holidays, we get, we uh, taught girls and kids how to solder Christmas tree ornaments with LEDs, with like little uh, PCB boards and LEDs that would flash up. Then it was like one of my proudest moments. And the Small kids, little kids are really good at soldering, funny enough, better than the adults. So, and and it's it's really funny because I often think about that. And to some extent, it's almost the exact same thing I'm doing here, just for a different group of people. My audience, actually, funny enough, is also, again, 75% women. So, no, as a woman, people probably just identify with me. And I can speak to, you know, from my perspective, I can probably what I say and how I run the events and the environment that I create is probably just appealing to to women. But to some extent, it's all about building community for me and building community for people who might not necessarily be, quote unquote, the norm, right? So for me, when I was in, in tech, um, when I was in grad school, I was studying computer science in England, and I was hanging out a lot of tech events, geek meetups, coding, whatever, competitions, stuff like that. Like the default, the norm is just men. It's mostly guys, right? And I wanted to provide a space for women to get together, to have that community, to see that they're not the weird ones, but it's also perfectly normal for a woman or also for girls to be interested in those things and to enjoy those things. And, you know, fast forward 10 years and I'm in New York City and I'm kind of doing the same thing for people who want to normalize not drinking, who maybe think, oh, am I the weird one for not wanting to, you know, get drunk at a bar or not wanting to do shots or, you know, the, and and I want to just provide that community and that sense of like, no, 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 this is totally fine. 
you know, you are, this is also quote unquote normal, whatever normal is, but this is perfectly fine, perfectly accepted. And you can do this if this is what you want to do. And it's, it's funny that I'm, yeah, basically doing the exact same thing just for like a slightly different, slightly different angle. Although funny enough, the main events that I started for that group, for that women attack group from Edges of Girl Geeks was the Girl Geek Tea Parties because a lot of the social events for people in tech were usually in the evening. They were held at bars. And I got approached by several women who said, well, I can't do that because I need a babysitter or I can't do that because I don't want to go to a bar where alcohol is served. There's a big Muslim community in um, in Manchester. And a lot of people said, I don't want to go to a bar. I don't want to be around alcohol. So for me, I said, okay, in order to make this more inclusive, let's do girl geek tea parties. Let's do afternoon tea parties in the space, the community space that didn't serve alcohol. And we had tea, we had baked goods. People would, uh, the the whole like people bringing science and tech themed cakes and cookies became a thing at some point, which is also really, really funny and really cute. And people were able to bring their kids. One of the first things I did for that community space was find a baby changing unit on Facebook Marketplace to install in the bathroom. So because someone approached me and said, hey, I have a newborn baby. I want to come to your event. Do you have anywhere where I can change diapers? So it's really about inclusion and making it a welcoming place for people that, you know, don't necessarily see themselves represented as much, whether that's being a woman in tech or whether that's someone who chooses not to drink in a society that is mildly obsessed with drinking. That's beautiful. I love that story. Do you look back and see that as a formative moment or a early version of what you're doing now with Third Space Bar? So it's so funny because I because because I was still drinking at the time and like complete transparency. A lot of these events that I ran on Sundays, I was hungover. <laughs> I was, you know, I was running tech classes or coding classes and I was like fighting for my life because I was hungover. Um, I don't know what it is in me that is so, it's a lot about solidarity, even if it's something that doesn't necessarily apply to myself. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm just going to go like all the way back to my parents and my stepdad, who is very active in his local union. Um, I just, just, this is a sidebar. All right, to your stepdad. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But it's funny because I just started watching The Gilded Age, which is a show about uh, New York City in the 1880s. But it's all about the rich elite in New York City. And a lot of these are new money people who run steelworks or railways and all that. And all their workers are trying to unionize, right? And I got so excited watching that because I'm like so pro-union and pro-workers rights. And I think that's just a very German thing to to sort of have that sense of community and solidarity. Um, one thing that my stepdad taught me, like, and he had like posters up about like the union. I think he worked for the postal service really briefly or for like the telecom and was unionized. So we had like posters for like the the with like union slogans and stuff up and he taught me one phrase that is so funny um lieber solidarisch als solide arisch which means i'd rather be i, I don't know what's the what's the uh, adjective for this solid i'd rather show solidarity than be solidly aryan 
So that, it's like a it's like a play on words. It's a play. It's a word play. <laughs> and I that's something that I learned literally when I was like ten years old. You know what I mean? Where solidarity and inclusion and support for other people. Um, is so important to me, even if I, I mean, you know, I benefit from it because it makes me feel good because I think it's the right thing to do. I actually have that also in like my third place bar, quote unquote, manifesto, where I say, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I had the idea of starting third place before I even considered stopping drinking myself. Yes, that I, I missed, I totally missed to say that. I had the idea of because it just, made sense to me to have that for people who choose to drink less. Six months later, as I was researching the non-alc space and the sober space, I realized, well, if I'm running a bar or events for people who don't drink alcohol, maybe I should also not drink for a while to see what it's like and to see, you know, to kind of just customer research, uh, empathy, customer empathy. And then I did that for two months and was, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to just quit completely or at least like keep this going until it doesn't serve me anymore and that's been 14 months at this point but I really had that idea of providing that space and providing that option and alternative before I even applied it to myself so I don't know what it is within me that's so focused on just creating an inclusive and welcoming environment for other people that might feel quote unquote marginalized in, in in some way without me necessarily being 100% part of that group. And it's in a sense, you know, it's like solidarity with queer people in the LGBTQ community. I ran the entire month of June. I just ran pride events, basically. I ran a sober drag brunch. I ran a sober queer social. I'm not part of the community. A lot of my friends are. And I think it's the right thing to do to support them. Why would why would I not do that? Why would I not support a marginalized group? And again, it's not entirely altruistic because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to make people happy and provide a space yeah. for them. And it seems like it's 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 the right thing to do. So that's kind of um I think we're sort of the 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 thread that really leads to like a lot of the things that I have done in my life. It's um, you know making myself feel good by providing these kinds of spaces for other people that I'm, you know, that might be marginalized that I'm, I want to see happy and succeed. I love that. Cheers. Cheers. That's beautiful. <laughs> and another uh, How do you say cheers in German? Uh, Prost. Prost. Prost, yeah. Mm. This is really good, this wine. I heard you talk about European drinkers in another podcast and on the, um, the Sober Sally's podcast. Yeah. You talked about Shout um, out to my you friend know, Alex. Yes. And Bridget, uh, the yes. Sober Sally's. Yeah. Also, disclaimer I have not lived in Europe for 10 years at this point. And I was in England for five years before that, which might not quite qualify for what I am about to say. Um, the main thing for me, I think. First of all, you know, drinking is or drinking at least beer and wine is legal in I believe most European countries uh, at age 16. So you kind of just start drinking beer, wine, mostly mostly beer uh, in Germany when you're when you're 16 and sort of get eased into it. Um, to be fair, I did drink a lot when I was 16 and I got pretty drunk and I got pretty hungover and I definitely also drank liquor, which I was not allowed to really. Um but I think for me, it seems that drinking and drinking, you know, beer, wine is sort of 
a little bit more uh I, I I can only use like this this word low key. Um it's a it's a it's a weird word, but it's sort of more normal and it's not as glamorized, I would say, as it is here in the US. To me in the US and I, and I feel like the U.S. in general are like it's it's a country of extremes, mm. right? It's a lot of black and white. It's like extreme drinking, or drug use, or whatever it is, or it's extreme health and wellness. Right, the people who do like their the IV drips and stuff. Like in Germany, people would be like, "Why would you do that?" Unless you're like in a hospital, why would you do an IV drip? Right? It's it's very much so. So the U.S. I think is just generally a lot more extreme. But it seems to me that drinking is so glamorized here and so you know part of rather than oh we're going somewhere and like maybe there's drinks it's no we're going to do this cruise and there will be and it's an open bar or we are going to a sip and paint and there's an open bar or we're going to do a bottomless brunch i don't think bottomless brunch is a thing in germany you know what i mean it's it's very the the exciting thing that you do is whoa there's drinking even even i kind of hang out on the internet a lot and there's a lot of conversations about open bars at weddings where people are upset if there's no open bar at a wedding and i'm like you're there to celebrate people getting married you're not there to get trashed and even if you do want to get trashed like you can probably spend 20 or 30 dollars on your own drinks if you're already getting a free dinner what it what you know you know what i mean where i'm like the, and, and people do get genuinely upset if there's no open bar at a wedding. It's like, whoa. It, it just, it seems there's like a, like a weird obsession with drinking mm-hmm. as the thing to do, as the activity and the activity that makes it fun. And that to me has just never been my experience in, in Germany, at least. The UK, different situation. They drink like crazy um but but in in germany it's sort of like you go somewhere you go to a concert and you have some drinks or you meet up with friends and like there's drinking is always there but it's part of what you're doing it's not the main attraction and it's very it's a little alienating for me here to do like you know to see drunk yoga um like that also just seems completely nonsensical to me uh (laughs) It, it it just seems like yeah a very odd obsession where you know you, you can go all the way back to like puritan culture and all that right where it's like oh the stuff that's not allowed right yeah or like prohibition right we never did prohibition in in europe because we we're like well we're just like drinking and that's fine um so so to me that's kind of um really yeah, just just like an extreme and an extreme focus and obsession that I really haven't seen anywhere else. Like you probably, you know, Italians, right? Like in Italy, people people drink and like enjoy drinking and probably also enjoy, like drink more than they should maybe. But it's not something like yeah, let's let's drink. This is amazing, right? It's it's just part of your life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. part of your culture. Yeah, yeah. The the special drink mm-hmm. has always been big at our house because I have a kid but also because I love to have parties and I actually love it when someone comes who is sober or has a food allergy because I love making people feel included and I like plan things where there's a punch where people can add alcohol or not Um, and I think you know the kind of the first person to come to one of my parties and said I don't drink I thought oh 
I want to have something for you. I don't want to just give you a glass of water. Yeah. It makes me think of the questions people ask Mm -hmm. or that maybe people used to ask, why are you drinking a Coke? Are you pregnant? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the responses that you tend to get from people after you stop drinking? And do you have advice for people who drink on how to chill out? around people who don't drink. Yeah, it was actually, it was surprising. I think this is also just like my personality that people sort of, especially people who know me are like, oh, Sam just does a thing and that's what Mm -hmm. she does now. Mm -hmm. So there weren't that many of my friends actually that were questioning it, which is funny because I was also pretty known as the the party girl. I'm always the person who's like, let's do shots, you know, at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, So I, I personally didn't even get that much and definitely people were very surprised it's like oh okay um but I, I didn't get a lot of criticism I think in general there's definitely a lot of oh are you pregnant or you know sort of just making assumptions about oh was it that bad or mm. oh you don't even drink that much the thing I get a lot um is almost the reverse where people instead of asking about me sort of talk about their own drinking Mm. and justify their own drink and say oh yeah I don't actually drink that much myself either and I'm like that's fine I didn't ask and I also don't necessarily care like that's you know you do you and and I'm not judging you but I feel with that sort of response that people might feel a little judged Mm -hmm. or sort of like you know having a, a mirror held up to their own drinking behavior and it makes them a little awkward or comfortable. I think that's that's the main thing that I notice. I've started recently talking about not drinking almost just like food preferences or food insensitivities where if someone says, oh, I don't eat mushrooms or I don't eat tomatoes or I don't eat, you know, gluten, I feel like nowadays it's a lot more accepted and no one will really question it. Although I feel like, especially cheese, <laughs> people, if you say that you don't eat cheese, people think you're absolutely insane, like even more than drinking alcohol. But, but maybe they don't step in and start want to talk to you for 10 minutes about exactly. their relationship yeah, exact, with cheese. Exactly. <laughs> but but for me, like just, just to answer your question about like how do people who do drink just respond to that? It just it's just whatever someone drinks or eats is so irrelevant mm-hmm. really to some extent unless like, obviously unless you're hosting and you're trying to accommodate them and kind of understand like what do you what do you want or what what can I offer you right but aside from that I would say that sounds a little harsh but mind your own business right like what your what someone else eats or drinks is really a uh, nicht mein beer yeah yeah nicht mein beer exactly it's it's don't don't worry about it. Like d- yeah. there are other things to to think about or worry about or talk about than really you know every every person has so many different food preferences. Some people don't like eggs. Some people don't like cereal. Some people don't like yeah tomatoes, mushrooms, whatever it is. Right. Some people don't like spicy food. The it's it's not that important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just just say like oh okay cool. If you're in a position where you're hosting and you're, okay, what else can I offer you? Or let me see if I can offer you something. And if not, then move on with your life. It's not that it's not that big a deal. I have a long career in alcohol and in wine. And I think it can be a space where it can be very lonely mm-hmm. if you are wanting to make some changes. And part of that is just the stereotypes of Unless it's the worst case scenario, most terrifying alcoholic story, then in between that and not drinking at all, Mm. 
there is this void for people in, in trying to figure out mm. how to change their relationship with alcohol. I'm glad that that's changing. And I think that that's why I really like Dry January. You know, I see some some creators in the alcohol space, especially as the wine industry is consumption is declining. There are studies coming out that young people aren't drinking as much. There's been some new health studies. Personally, I think I really think that for people who want the wine industry to to continue to do well, the wrong response is, is this panicked kind of hectoring mm. around dry January or, or making fun of it. I don't know. I, for me, it was a chance to avoid that questioning is kind of the time of year where you could try something mm -hmm. and you had a really easy thing to say. I'm just doing dry January. And then you're not going to get as many questions. And I think it helps too if there's something sort of temporary. And that's what I like about your language too around, I'm, I'm not drinking tonight. You know, you don't have to answer somebody if they say, what, are you never going to drink again? <laughs> How? Like, is this, are you okay? You know, um, what, what happened for me, I did dry January, kind of started with that. And then I had some periods of time where I went from about one to three or four months without drinking. Um, and I think those slightly longer breaks really helped mm -hmm. change my relationship. I still imbibe, but I think it was really helpful for me and in kind of a lonely space where people don't know how to talk about it or are afraid to talk about it in the drinks business. And it, it feels like something that you it's, it's really hard for people to talk about. I want people to talk about that more. I want people to talk more about health and balance within the industry. There's a lot of places where that could happen. And there's all kinds of reasons too that people might not drink if they are pregnant, yeah. if they if for a religious reason, for a health reason, for because they're taking a medication, who cares? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who cares? And I always say, can we just normalize mm -hmm. not drinking? Yeah, it's so it's it's kind of crazy if you think about it, right? That you have to normalize not consuming. What's I, I'm not like a you know hardliner on. Oh my god, alcohol is the worst thing ever, but it is a a poison. Like it is toxic to cells enter your body like there's that's just the fact so can we like normalize not consuming something that's toxic to us right mm -hmm. and it it just it's almost crazy to me that you have to like justify not consuming something that is clearly just not great for you and then the the next thing people always say is like oh well it's okay in moderation so like making for me making a choice to not consume one thing that I know is not great for me, even if it's in moderation, it, just accept that. It's it's fine. It's just my personal choice, right? And I don't know why it's such a big deal still to people. And it's, it's actually funny when you said, oh, it was really easy in dry January because you can justify it easily. I would like for us to be able to just say that any time of the year, not just get like a, a free pass in January to say you're not drinking without people questioning it, but really just any time of the year, if it's June and you say, oh, I'm not drinking tonight or I'm not drinking at the moment or whatever it is, like I have, I'm having a busy month and I want to be able to get up early and get my work done without feeling like even just the slightest effects of ha hangover. So I'm not drinking this month or I'm drinking wh whatever it is. You don't even need a justification, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I just feel better if I don't drink. For me, the main thing is really my mental health. It's as so much more stable if I don't drink and I just don't want to go back to the roller coaster mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. you know, euphoria and then anxiety and and the 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 high highs and the low lows i don't want to go back to that yeah and i know even with moderation i would probably still have that to some extent so 
I'm happy. I'll happily just cut it out. Some the whole the whole conversation I think for me is just accept that some people make choices might not even have a great reason or a justification. Mm -hmm. They might just say, I don't want to. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it was for me when I started to kind of use those dried urinary moments as a way to reevaluate my relationship yeah. with the substance as I was like, I'm not having fun anymore. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, and and as listeners of this podcast know, <laughs> I, having fun is an important value of mine. <laughs> so yes. especially the th when you're doing the thing mm -hmm. that is literally supposed to be the fun. Mm -hmm. And if you're not having fun anymore, you can make a change. You can change your life if you want to. Go for it. I'm not going to judge you. And yeah. I'm a sommelier. And exactly. I, I will say it's it's one of the only industries in which we can take the drink and actually spit it, spit it through out. the air. And that's not <laughs> weird, which actually is really helpful to me. That's what I love about yeah. what you're doing because the thing that is sad is losing a connection to culture mm -hmm. and losing a connection to celebration. Mm -hmm. My Where I'm at right now is I have grand plans and I require excellent mornings. Yeah, You know, nobody re wakes up in the morning and says to themselves, I wish I'd drunk more last night. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? If it Never. made last night a little better, it was a little yeah. more, um, more to drink. It's, it's a very easy substance oh, to just yeah. kind of keep Especially going Especially in New York City. It's mm -hmm. just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like you can easily drink every single day, starting at lunch basically, right? Or or brunch mm -hmm. or whatever it yeah. is without even noticing necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just want to throw that in, especially for women. Mm -hmm. Alcohol increases the risk of cancer, including breast cancer. And to me... That is where, um, you know, especially as women in New York City, at least for me, it's kind of like a work hard, play hard sort of city. And you're just constantly out, you're socializing, you're doing the boozy brunch, you're going mm -hmm. on dates, right? You're constantly drinking. You are absolutely 100% putting yourself at risk for so many other diseases. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. especially for women in their late 20s, early 30s. 30s early 40s that is another thing to consider it's not just the hangovers it's just a significant mm -hmm. health risk that you're incurring there there are some things that i think i think we can avoid and it's not just again like not just like i have a lot of things to do and i don't want to be hungover but it's also like i have a lot of life that i want to live and i don't want to put myself at risk mm -hmm of maybe, you know, incurring more health risks. And, yeah. And the thing that I'm still interested in, even having moving past the, the point in my life where it's just like every single day drinking, is culture. Mm -hmm. And the small farmers who've been tending to the terraces, like in Germany, and to keep that culture alive and to to keep those cultural, human, natural products going I obviously want the the alcohol industry to to continue to provide that, and and I still like to to drink and have fun, and there's yeah. cultural rights and history and, and loosening up and and all of that stuff. But, you know, I just don't think that the way forward for the industry is going to try to ignore the science, yep. and and I don't believe in doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. I think it doesn't lead to good outcomes. Um, do you think it's just important for us to mm -hmm. be open about these yeah. things, especially in the industry? Yeah. And especially for, for women in the industry, like to just think that they have to match men drink for mm -hmm. drink and do this. I, I It was this bravado, I think, for yeah. me that I had to let go of and within what can be a very macho, very elitist, mm -hmm. very toxic space.
I feel like certain people are just have the community builder thing. Yeah. I'm definitely one of those yeah. people. I started a house concert venue yes. in my apartment. That would be my dream. When my too. baby was the small mm-hmm. and people came from all over and yeah. it was a beautiful That's time so of nice. my life. It's actually funny. Um friend of mine asked me a while ago if I'm a creative person and I said I'm not really I don't make music I don't you know I don't paint I don't do that and then someone else said well you create community and I I almost I teared up I was like that is it I, I create community I create connection and and again I want people regardless of their choice to drink or not to drink I want them to be able to experience that that connection that's so important to me Well, I think that whatever our opinions are about alcohol, no alcohol, I think that we can all agree that loneliness is not ideal. So I think that you're doing doing great work that everybody should be able to get behind. How can people stay in touch with you and find out about what you're doing? I'm mostly active on social media, specifically Instagram. So I'm at Third Place Bar NYC, and I always post both my own events as well as other events that I find interesting. Again, this is a lot of solidarity. The rising tide lifts all ships. Um, I'm not gatekeeping and only talking about my own events. I'm also talking about other stuff that's happening that people might find interesting because it's about building community, even if there is no one specific location, but it is a community in New York City. You know, there there are, I have regulars that come to events. Um, so definitely Instagram. And then I also just have a newsletter um, that people can sign up for on my website, thirdplacebar.nyc. To all of our listeners, wherever you go and whatever you like to drink, always remember to enjoy your life and to never stop learning. Follow Moto Di Berry on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok for even more unique and encouraging drinks and language content. Music for the podcast was composed by Ercilia Prosperi and performed by the band O. Oh. You can purchase their recordings at oumusic.bandcamp.com. Yeah.